Welcome to A Duty to Act with your host, Jennifer Darling. Hi, everybody. This is Jennifer from A Duty to Act. I am really thrilled to be here today in the studio on our 10th recording. This is 20 weeks in, and I will be interviewing my producer, my business partner, my husband, Josh. Josh, thank you so much for playing two roles today, both producer and guest on the podcast. You're welcome. I guess. All right. Well, it's good that you're enthusiastic (laughs) about being here. We started this podcast. Do you remember what we said our goals were on the first day when we said we were going to start the podcast? What what did you say your goal was? A million listeners. And how are we doing? Not a million listeners. I'm very sorry. We haven't met your goal yet. But we're on a trajectory to meet it, right? We are every journey what is a 10,000 mile journey begins with a single step so all right but we've taken more than one step no no no, we we have we have no we're we're cruising right along every every week we're getting more there's more listeners there's growth there's it's it's repeatable growth okay which is cool perfect and do you remember what I said our goal my goal was for the podcast six months six months so we're basically nearly approaching nearly at six months very close very close. Okay. Right after we started, probably our third episode in, you and I sat down and had a very frank discussion about what is a measure of success for a podcast? How would we, what would we say made us successful? And maybe it was a little bit more serious of a conversation than just projecting a million listeners. Right. Um, so Which I just came up with just, just because. <laughs> just I, because. I just said a million, just because. Just because. So, um, but what are the statistics about podcasts? What do we know about podcasts uh, uh, being successful? Like, if we make it to episode 20, we'll be in the top 1% of all podcasts just because of attrition. That's awesome. So, most podcasts don't get up past episode three. A huge chunk of them don't get past episode two. And they're the biggest swath of them just have one intro episode and then are never seen again. Okay. So we are, we're on fire then. I mean, we are just plowing through. In podcast terms, we're cruising right along. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. And we've had steady growth. Hmm? We also have some interesting, uh, I love it when you share the statistics with me, but my favorite is when you share with me the geography. Mm -hmm. So where do we have listeners? Um, it's mostly East Coast, West Coast, USA, mostly Pacific Northwest because that's where all of our friends and stuff are. Um, but East Coast, West Coast, USA, there's some in the Midwest. Um, and then there's pockets, I would say, in Europe and South America and Asia. Okay. So, which is really so cool. listeners in Japan yeah. and Lisbon, which is in Portugal. Yep. which I did not know until we got a listener there. And for that, I apologize. But uh, I did not realize that Lisbon was in Portugal. Yep. Um, Bosnia. Yep, Bosnia, Germany, Italy, a yeah. bunch of, bunch of all over the place. Spain. It's really wonderful. Yep. Yep. It's really wonderful. And what's cool is we've actually responded to the geography and it's helped guide some of our episodes. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had a pocket of listeners in Louisville, Kentucky. Yep. Which led to our interview at Louisville Metro. Right. Yeah. What I've been looking for is if we if we get into double digits into an area, then I'll you know target that area for a conversation. So. Yeah, it was super cool because we uh, went we we had our conversation with Louisville Metro, uh, and. It was just great to research that area and research what they're doing, sit down and listen to them. And I thought there was a lot of innovation in the way they're training for retention. They're Mm -hmm. recruiting for training and then training for retention. And that's a really neat thing that they're doing. I like that they're just hiring people straight off the street. Yeah. Which is is cool because so often it doesn't seem to be going that way. At least my experience, you know, adjacent to the fire service, what Mm -hmm. I see – is that you know, people go to the community college and they get a fire science degree and then they you know, volunteer at a place and they you know, apply, they take a shotgun approach at applying and then that kind of thing. But Louisville Metro is like, no, nope, 
let's just take them. Yeah. Let's let's take a someone who is diehard Louisville and train them up, and that that works. Like that's cool. I think yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I think that's that's been really interesting. But today, I didn't have you on here to talk about podcasting so much, although we can't pretend that you're not my producer there. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, I wanted to talk about you and why you decided that a podcast about public safety was something that fit into your life. And to start that, I want to talk about what your life is, because you are not within the public spec sector. You're not a uh, public service employee. So tell me what it is. Let's tell everybody what it is that you do for a living. I am a data scientist. I work in the private sector, and I work for uh, a major financial tech company, and that's that's that. So okay, it's been been pretty fun, interesting. Yeah, what is what is data science? Because that was definitely something that was a learning curve for me to understand. Um, data science. I mean, obviously, there's some there's some definition somewhere, um, but I like to think of it as taking data points and uh, turning them into stories and then turning the stories into action. That's broadly, I think, uh, how we might explain it. Okay. And, and data can be a lot of different things. It can be numbers. It can be images. It can be interviews with people. It can be comments. I mean, there's just loads of things. So, like, that's a, that's a pretty large bucket of stuff. Okay. In public safety professions, we tend to look at numbers and the numbers beget more numbers. So, for example, we look at unit hour utilization. We look mm -hmm. at when crimes are happening on the street and we figure the time of day. We figure the day of the week. And then we use those numbers to adjust the staffing, mm -hmm. to adjust the deployment models. Mm -hmm. And I've never been pleased with that. I've never liked that we use numbers to give us more numbers, numbers to justify more numbers or not, uh, numbers to discount other numbers. Mm -hmm. We're not painting a picture with the data. So how would you take our looking at a time of day and a day of week and saying, you know, how would you look at that and say there's more to it than this? Well, there's, there's sort of two things happening if let's say there's a spike in activity in a certain area and it's predictable, okay, well, so there's two things. Number one, that needs to be addressed in the immediate sense, right? So whether that's sending more units or whatever. So, okay, cool. That's step one. Step two is asking why, like what is, what is exactly is going on there? What, what about this makes it predictable? What is the activity that's going on? What's driving that activity? And how can we uh, pull levers within the community or within the economic system or whatever else to adjust that, to, to, to address that spike in activity? Okay. We use our numbers for things to justify new apparatus purchases or mm -hmm. renovations or rebuilds or building a new station. Sure. But that usually... It's usually done, I think, with this upper level management, this on paper, it looks this way. How does yeah. how can data visualization, data analysis change things from just being how it looks on paper? Um, well, you want to know, like, what's really going on. So usually when there's some sort of a large capital purchase like that, it so it Obviously, there needs to be reasoning for it. It needs to be justified somehow. And then there needs to be buy-in from the people who approve such a purchase, right? Because it's going to be a massive purchase. So what you want to be able to do is show those people who are... Um, you need to be able to justify it and, and show the people who are approving it that you that that it's a valuable purchase and will do good in the community but also show them that you're worthy of that purchase if, if that's a one way of maybe saying it that you've i like that 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 i mean worthy may not be the right i like the, that the, i think the, that yeah um so which is I, th I think what you're getting to is like the workplace scorecard 
uh, situation where um, we can look at the health and activity of your department to see, uh, um, well, how healthy it is for, <laughs> for lack of a better phrasing, um, across a number of different dimensions, and then roll that up into a single number. And then you can what what somebody who is looking for approval can do is take those take that that data and say, look, this is the health of our department. We have a data driven approach to assessing the health of our department. It's scoring X, and uh, that's an improvement over last year by some percentage. And um, and here are the actions that we took to get there. So so you're not just saying that the department is doing great and you're saying, here's how I know the department is doing great. And, oh, by the way, we could do even better if we had, uh, you know, a, a renovation on our asbestos-filled you know, station yeah. downtown or, or um, a, a, new, a new ambulance rig because the other one's breaking down or something, you know, whatever, yeah. that, whatever that might be. A lot of times people talk about data in our world as stuff that is maybe manipulated or manipulative. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can make numbers say whatever you want them to say. If you want to buy a new... Sort of, yeah. Right? If you want to get the newest, coolest uh, police cruiser on the street, you want something that's super mm -hmm. fast and it's got a roll cage and a push bar and whatever, all the things that you want on your police cruiser, if you want that, you can go out and find numbers that will tell you that you need that. Sure, you can figure out a way to justify it. You can figure out a way to justify it. Yeah. So how can we prevent that from happening? How can we prevent the numbers from just painting a single story? Well, this is a bit more of a philosophical question, but um, it, com it comes down to, to understanding the data what it actually what it actually means measuring it well measuring it in a way that is that is clean and reliable having a clean and reliable definition for what it is that you're measuring and measuring it in the in in a way that makes sense and uh, from a philosophical standpoint having everybody come together and agree on what and how we're measuring something so like there's multiple ways for example to measure um, I like to use the stock market as as an example, but there's multiple measures of, of of there's multiple ways of measuring the success on the stock market other than just the value going up, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say like there's the S and P 500, there's the Russell index, there's that index, there's the other index. You can look at a PE ratio and all these other different things, right? Which one they and they're all contributing factors in to one degree or another. And they all tell a different story. But what you need to do as an investor is to understand, like, well, these are the things that matter to me. So this this is the trail of breadcrumbs that I'm going to follow to to get to the answer that I want. And so where that where that comes into play within like the EMS service is that it helps if everybody sits down and comes comes together and says, look, everybody, we want to measure. Let's take it the health of our department. We want to know, here's what we want to know, starting with the end state in mind. We want to know how our department is, is doing our, is the personnel happy? Um, and if they are, if, are they performing well? Do they feel like they're performing well? Do they feel like there's a pathway for growth? Do they feel like they have purpose? Like, okay, cool. That's the end result. Now the question is, how do we back into that? How do we figure out how, how do we get there? And that's why I've laid out this this scorecard and and laid it out in such a way that we can all sit down and look at how these things are defined, and look at the inner workings of of how how this thing comes together and how we're defining each of these. So we all have a clear understanding of what it is that we're measuring, why we're measuring it, and then measure it and be consistent about that measurement. That's all it is. So. I, I like a couple things that you said there. The first one you said is what matters, deciding what matters. Yeah. Uh, and I, that's a really key thing. We have to decide what matters. Mm -hmm. 
with our data collection, it often comes from things like I said, you know, call volume at time of day, mm-hmm. numeric things that can be gathered. And we we should acknowledge that the careers in public service that we're looking at haven't been very technologically advanced uh, until quite recently. Sure. We just weren't applying a lot of analysis. So when analysis came in, when data analysis was thought of as something that we should do, it absolutely drove a lot of things. But it's been data analysis for data analysis sake and not saying what matters to us. So to what degree do you think it's important for a police department to, say, uh, sit down with all of the employees or a reasonable group as well as leadership and decide and define what matters to us and then use that to gather data? I think it's critical because it helps. It's like having a shared vision for the success of the department. Okay. And like if you're having in a relationship and you don't have a shared vision for the what what means success in that relationship, then that relationship is is it may not be doomed to fail exactly, but it's certainly going to be, you know, harder going yeah. than if you had a shared vision for what your relationship might look like because everybody's working on a different playbook. Everyone's working mm-hmm. from a different playbook, right? So I think it's highly critical if if everybody gets together and says, all right, here's where we are. Here's where we want to be. Mm-hmm. How do we get from point A to point B? And and that's that's where the the services that that we're talking about kind of come into play so it's like you have the service the the deep dive uh the deep dive yeah. look and that's like the troubleshooting how to, so it's not just like how do we get there it's it's really troubleshooting deep what the path to success is sure. and how to get there whereas um the workplace scorecard is is like an assessment tool along the way for each of these milestones like have we got there you know have we have we reached the mountaintop yet nope okay and and if not in what dimension have we not reach the mountaintop and then let's let's concentrate on that well let's uh let's interrupt sort of this path because i like i said i love what you said about having uh, a discussion about what matters um and i want to talk about department to department and so on but let's give some clarification for a moment i mentioned that we're business partners we started Mm -hmm. this podcast because we started a consulting company we started a consulting company because of all of the things that i've said in every episode i want public service to be uh, better i want the employees to love it more and so we started sort of with these missions in mind but you developed something early on that I think was really brilliant. I was talking about the problems in the world that I live in and, and how to fix them and, and what I want for them. And you applied your data analysis brain to it and said, oh, I can design a scorecard that would measure that. And you mm-hmm. came up with the workplace scorecard. So can yeah. you give us sort of an overview of the workplace scorecard? Not so much, you've talked about what its um, end result is, but what you know, the physical being of that. It is ostensibly a set of vital signs for your department, whether it's police, fire, EMS, even a hospital, whatever it might be. Um, and so uh, it's it's the, the guts of it is a survey and a set of interviews. And we take those two data points, put them together, aggregate the scores appropriately across 12 different dimensions. So we can say that, you know, you're scoring high in this area or low in that area or whatever. Um, and then also roll that up into a single, into a single number that can be easily communicated. And that's, that was part of the reason why I built it in that way is because number one, it needs to be trackable and measurable over time. We need to be able to measure the change from period to period. And it also needs to be easily communicated to leadership and other folks who may or may not care about these individual um, individual numbers. So, like for example, you were you were talking about the um, unit hour utilization and stuff. That's a number that is going to be great at a certain level, 
but like the mayor is probably not going to care too much about that number, right? But can we give the mayor a number that does mean something to the mayor and and also can can easily communicate improvement? And that's that's what this is. Okay, you look at twelve different dimensions. Uh, can you give us an example of what a couple of dimensions are? Um, it'd be like uh, relationships is one, like uh, interpersonal relationships, um, uh, communication, uh, union and leadership communication. If you know, if it's a union shop, that one. Uh, um, Work-life balance, um, uh, career growth. Okay. Those, there's, like I said, there's there's a dozen of them. I'm not going to go through all of them. Okay, here, but that's, that's perfect. What I really like about this, I have two ways of describing it. You mentioned that you come up with a set of vital signs for the departments. But what's interesting is you're not just saying, like, you've got a great score on your work-life balance and you've got a terrible score on communication instead of just doing that you actually aggregate it all into one overall score and so this would almost be like for those of us who do medicine as taking blood pressure which is a completely different measurement than respirations which is a completely different measurement than blood sugar and is a completely different measurement than pulse and adding all those numbers up in some way with some formula that gives you an overall score of your patient and yeah. your score of your patient would be 87.5 right. but we don't do that what we actually do is we we take all of those vital signs we take them all we aggregate them but what we come up with is sick or not sick and so what you're doing is this idea that you're looking at all of these dimensions you're aggregate you're getting all the vital signs for them you're aggregating it and you're sort of saying sick not sick but in a way that's meaningful for leadership to go to the city council and say hey we need more staffing or is that yeah basically that's yeah that's exactly it and and in the in the same ways you could let's say those aggregated things blood pressure and blood sugar and so on um and the person scores 87.5 and then you could tell them okay your your health right now is an 87.5 you know almost like it's a video game or some such <laughs> and then and then say what i want you to work on over the next year is eat you know eat better and exercise a little bit more, so on and so on. And then the next year, measure them again. And hey, look, you now you're at a 92. So cool, you're out of the you're out of the not sick. Um, uh, uh, you're, you've been bumped up out of not not sick or, or out of sick and into not sick. There <laughs> we go. A, there and you then go. and then you know now you're in the healthy category. Yay! Okay. Yay! You know. And that's a really interesting thought as well because you've got these numbers. You can try and move the dial and look at it year over year. And over time and really show the growth of the department. Mm -hmm. But you can also still break it down to those individual vital signs and say, like, although you've had exponential growth in your communication, unfortunately, you've lost some ground in your work life balance. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, now that just thinking about it, the we've been talking a lot about the people, purpose and path stuff. the dozen different dimensions they they fall into those buckets that's essentially the the yeah. three major themes is like how what are how are things going on how are things going with the people mm-hmm. um are you communicating well do you have good relationships uh how is it working out with leadership mm-hmm. how is it working out with your partners purpose are you do you feel like your the work that you're doing is meaningful and and do you feel like you're able to do the, this 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 work? And then path. Do you feel like there is growth? Do you see a path for growth, um, whether that's per- personal, professional, and so on? And it, so it sort of touches on those three things mm-hmm. um, across those twelve dimensions. Not to add another layer of dimensionality sure. into it, but that's essentially. Yeah. What's interesting for those who. Uh, haven't necessarily listened to every podcast, which I really think you should go back and listen to because I think they're wonderful and I'm having a blast doing this. But we had a wonderful conversation with Chief Chris Kamek, Mm -hmm. the police chief from Mount Vernon, the town that I work in. And he mentioned uh, decision-making and how people choose jobs. And he came up with this phrase that was people, path, and purpose. And that really spoke to Josh and me in a, a different way. We took it a little bit further 
or to a different aspect than the chief was talking about. And we've been, uh, the podcast has been so great because you and I have had multiple conversations about that. I've talked about it with a couple people at work and a couple people outside of work. And the idea, uh, so when we bring up people, purpose, and path in this conversation, uh, listen to that episode, and we're going to talk a lot more about this in future episodes. Yeah. It sounds woo-woo to say, like, oh, that resonates with me or whatever, but <laughs> it does. It, it does. And most of the people, most of the conversations that we've had, uh, just about everything boils down yeah. to those three things to one degree or another. Yeah. So. I, I absolutely agree. I think we saw that with Mayor Jill. I think um, coming up episodes, it came up, you know, just other things, talking to people mm -hmm. from Columbus, Ohio. That absolutely was an aspect. So yep. looking forward to those episodes. This The workplace scorecard, uh, to me, really marries together our love of data in EMS and fire and police, our love of saying, here's our numbers. This shows you that we're doing a good job. It marries that with the reality of the circumstance that we deal with people and people aren't numbers and you can't, you can't just reduce it to that. Yeah. And I love that the workplace scorecard looks at each dimension individually, weighs right. them a certain way, and then comes up with that final number. And that's really fantastic. So... Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about working with you is your brain. <laughs> well, and I I hate to be that guy, but you know, when you said, "Well, here's our numbers and here's how we're we're doing a good job." It's like, "Well, what does it mean to do a good job?" Yeah. And that's and that's what it comes down to. It's, it's I, people people get annoyed with me at work sometimes because I'm always like, "What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Can you define that?" And I'm not trying to be pedantic, mm -hmm. but you know, if we have two different people who are using the same word but measuring them differently, yeah. well, then the numbers are going to be off and then everyone's going to say, well, why are these numbers off, right? Yeah. So we need to have common definitions for things and a common understanding and a common goal that we're working toward. And um, and that's part of part of what this, what this is. And mm -hmm. not to get too philosophical, but like all the things that we measure are arbitrary. I mean, practically, all the mm -hmm. things that we measure are arbitrary, or at least they were until we've all agreed that they have some kind of a meaning. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all rooted in some kind of a reasoning. And that's exactly what what this is. So so folks might listen to this and say, well, gee, that, that sounds like anybody could just make up a thing. Well, you take some level of logic and and put that into this thing and then apply the meaning to it consistently over time. And then suddenly it becomes a very meaningful thing that we, that we latch onto for sometimes centuries, like, you know, the pound or the mm -hmm. kilogram or sure. Fahrenheit, right? These things are, we can measure, you know, temperature in any number of ways, but we've decided on this one. That's the one that we're going to use. And we all use it consistently. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Do you have a question about emergency medical services? Do you wonder what it takes to become an EMT, paramedic, or a firefighter? Now's your chance to take advantage of Jennifer's 30 years of experience as a paramedic, firefighter, administrator, and teacher. Go to www.teamprotego.com. That's www.teamprotego.com. Click on the Submit Your Question link, and we may address it on the air. I think it's really interesting how we've gotten to where we are in public service, in public safety positions, where we say, you know, where we, we select our numbers. For example, in EMS, the, mm -hmm. and EMS is only 60 years old in comparison to all of the rest of the careers in the world. We're only 60 years old. We're not nearly as old as organized hospital-based medicine, law enforcement, and even fire departments. And sure. in the early days, a decision was made to say that response times, that is the measurement. We're doing a good job if we respond and arrive on scene within a certain time. I'm in, And that is a perfectly valid thing to, to consider and think about. Yeah, it's a fantastic thing to think about. We had yeah. nothing Faster to measure. Faster is better. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we had nothing to measure. We we had no data because we were just starting off. Right. So arbitrarily, it was decided that response times 
were the deciding factor on whether or not care was good, that mm. the service was effective in its performance. Yeah. So we had these numbers, a seven-minute urban response, a 12-minute suburban response, and a you know 40-minute wilderness response or such. Yeah. Those numbers have largely been disproven because care within ambulance responding compared to bystander first response, or excuse me, bystander CPR or law enforcement carrying AEDs, you know, these, these other factors have come into play. So we've mm. discounted that. And now we've sort of said like, okay, you know what? Response times aren't the end all be all, but yeah. you know what? We haven't proven what the next thing is then. But I think it's certainly something to consider, like how fast do you get there, or you're just being mm -hmm. a lazy bones about it, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you say lazy bones, but the fact of the matter is that a lot of motor vehicle accidents happen in the response to a scene. Lights right. and siren driving is not without dangers. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm not arguing that that people drive reckless, recklessly or something like that. But mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, obviously getting there faster. But to say response time equals care, I think is doesn't those two things don't logically add up for mm -hmm. me because time is not a time is a is a measure of of you know it, it's it's time. I hate I like I, don't, I can't <laughs> I can't come up with a measure for the with a definition of time off the top of my head. But but care is not time and time yeah. is not care. These two things are not com yeah. are are not equally comparable. And one might impact the other. Right. Mm -hmm. You may be able to get care on scene faster, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say that faster time equals better care. Mm -hmm. I'd say faster time equals quicker care. Yeah, but absolutely. Not, but not better care. But that's that was that's our origin with data. That's yeah. the EMS origin with data. We can talk about fire and the, the variables of fighting a fire, a house fire are so great. The yeah. there are standards of how many people it takes to put out a fire. That's fantastic. They've looked at, you know, the the needs to how many people it takes to put up a ladder and how many people have to operate a pump or go in on a hose line together. And they come up with these numbers and they're valid and they make sense, but they also can't speak to the variability of the house that's on fire and the construction right. and the <clears throat> fuel load of that fire. Yep. So to decide one over the other is more important is is hard. Um, so I love this idea of collaboration and buy-in in deciding what matters. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it's one over the other. I think mm -hmm. it's one and the other. One and the other. Yeah. yeah. Because both, both of them matter. And then, and not to get too in the, in the weeds with like machine learning and stuff, but everybody, mm -hmm. if, if anyone's paying any attention to this sort of thing, you hear, you hear phrases like machine learning and stuff. And basically that's taking a bunch of inputs and mm -hmm. throwing them into the machine, doing some calculations on them, and it spits out a, a, a prediction, a model. And and um, so with what you're saying is like the you could take all of the things that are f contributing factors to the fire when the when the house was made, the material the house is made out of, weather conditions, and then you could say you could take also the makeup of the fire department and how far away it is and traffic conditions you could mm -hmm. like throw all of these things oh, yeah. into a model and then come up with a predictor of success to mm -hmm. put out a fire on a house yeah now i don't know if that would be really valuable or not but i mean but that's that's how so that i guess what i'm just trying to say is it's not one or the other it's one and the other and sometimes we need as as humans because we're not we're not computers. We can't take a, a thousand different variables and and compute them all at once and come up with a, a, a success model. But what we can do is have a simplified success model that rep, that is representative of the things that we think matter, and and track that thing over time. And that's and that's how I was thinking about the workplace scorecard. It's like what are, what are these dimensions that make a workplace uh, uh, successful? How does that overlap with the a, a department? And how can we measure those things and then roll it up into an index that encompasses all of these uh, 
12 different variables. Mm -hmm. So not a ton of variables, just 12. And then tell a clear story to leadership and also make decisions uh, um, based on, on what we see in, these, in the movement of these numbers. Make sense? Oh, that makes complete sense. And I love that idea. I always, I, with the students that I teach, they're all entry level. They're all going through their EMT training for the first, usually for the first time, but they're going mm -hmm. through their EMT training. They're looking for jobs. They're trying to imagine what this life is like and sure. can they have a career here. And I, I constantly coach them about looking at a department and looking at the culture of the department. Don't just pick a department because they're hiring. Yeah. Don't just pick a department. Which because, is often the approach. Yeah. This the, that you mentioned earlier, a shotgun approach yeah, yeah. to things. They're just applying everywhere. But I always I, I tell the students, you know, to look at the culture of the department to see if that lines up with what they want. Yeah. Because if you if you go out and you do a shotgun approach, you apply for jobs, you interview everywhere, you take the first job that you're offered. And the yeah. problem is that that job can be a real mismatch. Mm -hmm. Um I think everybody sees this to a certain extent, but it's flattering to get the job offer. It's you've worked yep. hard, you've interviewed. And so you're like, yes, I got the job offer, but Oh no, that department down the street that's closer to where I grew up or that department that's got the specialty water rescue or, or whatever the defining feature is, is hiring. Mm -hmm. So during your initial training, your probationary period, or even your first three years, your head is turned by another department down the road that's suddenly hiring. Yeah. It doesn't look good to leave a job during probation. Uh, and, and that might not be the best, most compelling reason, but it's out there. It's a reason. Sure. So to find the job, maybe it's not your forever home. Maybe it's your first five years of your career. But to, to find the job to invest the time for the interviewing process, to increase your likelihood of success at matching with that job and being someone that they want to have around means you have to have an insight. So I can see the workplace scorecard as being really insightful in a candidate comparing one agency to the next. Yeah. Fit is really, is really important yeah, and it, it, it impacts, it's been, that's been shown over and over and over to impact retention. And that's that's part of the reason why a website like Glassdoor is really popular because you can, you know, if you're researching a company, you go in Glassdoor and see what other people are saying about that company and how, how are they rating the CEO and how are they so on and so on. Now, this is not that, mm -hmm. but but this this is a it's it's a similar kind of idea. It's like, well, and companies have learned from Glassdoor. They've actually looked at their Glassdoor ratings and then and then made changes internally in order to improve their Glassdoor rating because it will improve their retention. And this could be a similar similar kind of thing. It's like, well, we're using the workplace scorecard to address to to understand and potentially address some any any issues that there might that might exist internally. And then you can also take that and and make those those things public facing and and show people and, and attract recruits and say look we've got a great workplace balance here or work work uh, work work life balance we've uh, you know our our recruits have um, they they see themselves growing in their career and here is here's how we facilitate that as a department and um, oh and by the way that's a really cool community that we live in here too so you might want to move to our town <laughs> you yeah. know so there's two things that come to my mind after what you've said there. And the first one is this idea with Glassdoor and reacting to the Glassdoor score. So with Glassdoor, the ratings are made by people who work there or have worked there. Yes. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And so it's not something that's actually led by leadership. Leadership is not saying this is who we are and these are our numbers. Yeah. It's other people rating. So it's, it's you know, Yelp for jobs, basically. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And, yeah. and you do get, you know, you do get the disgruntled worker who leaves, you know, a nasty review or something. But yeah. that's... That's a separate. That's a separate that's a issue. Separate thing. <laughs> so, the the workplace scorecard, in order, first of all, I like, 
I like the workplace scorecard. And, and I'll just say that the product that I developed for our company is the workplace differential. And it's this idea of taking a problem and unraveling that problem. But the workplace scorecard is actually just an every year look at the workplace mm. that seeks and finds the problems, identifies the problems in that direction. It says you know, we're here and, and, and maybe problem is a bit of an overstatement, but we're lower on this score and this mm -hmm. dimension. We're higher on this one. So clearly we need to work in that dimension. Whereas the workplace differential is saying, here's the complaint. This is the problem that we have. This is the problem as we see it. Mm -hmm. And then I go in and I start from the point of that problem and go follow that path, follow that thread wherever it unravels. Yeah, yeah. And the scorecard can can surface a complaint that needs unraveling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Which is really cool. For the workplace differential to work, mm -hmm. all I have to do is be invited to look at that item, just yeah. to look at that item. But I'm not coming up with an assessment for the whole department. I'm not certainly not coming up with that aggregated number. What I'm coming up with is that that detailed analysis of what is causing that problem. Mm. Is there anything you'd want to add to that idea? Well, if we if can just go back for a second to the sure. to the typical reporting and you're talking about trust and everything. You need to be able to a trust your data analyst. You should trust your data analyst when they when they give you like as as a data scientist, as a data analyst, mm -hmm. we are constantly on the search for truth. And that's that's we believe what the data says. Like the X-files. Well, maybe. We we believe we believe what the data says. We set our our egos aside, you know, ideally, we set our egos aside and we believe what the data says. We may not like what the data has to say. But the data is the data, and that's that's the end of that's the end of that. So let's mm -hmm. let's work with our understanding of the world via the data. Um, and so, my my suggestion to the listeners is to trust that your data scientist is is doing exactly that. And when they give you numbers that maybe conflicts with your understanding of the world, um, you know, don't. Don't rush to judgment about it, but try to understand what's going on, and rather than rather than be dismissive of what of of what they're what they're saying, which happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, and the other thing is to say, like, uh, be honest with yourself. Are we doing these reports for the sake of reporting, or are these reports translating into real world action? And, and improvement toward our mission and vision as an organization. If we're simply reporting to tick off a box and satisfy the mayor's desire for, or, or some, or some you know, council member's desire to, to see a pie chart, that's not a good use of our time, right? Let's, let's make that meaningful. That's, that's all I have to say. I think that's uh, interesting. We... Dashboards were a really big deal for a while uh, in in uh, public service where mm -hmm. you wanted a dashboard. You wanted a, a data analyst to come in and look at your numbers mm -hmm. and create a dashboard. And then the dashboard would tell the whole story. But the dashboard doesn't provide meaning. It doesn't mm -hmm. give you the why, which is what you were talking about yeah. wanting. Yeah. It just says these numbers aggregate into this pie chart yep. and these numbers aggregate into that pie chart. Yep. And then this bar graph is an example of those two pie charts compared to one another. Yeah. You know, uh, that's exactly, so I do dashboards as, as a part of my work. Awkward. Yeah. And, and I create different tabs on the dashboard for different people. Mm -hmm. One is, is um, a high executive view to just satisfy those executives who want to look at the line chart and see that it's going up and like, okay, cool. Like, that's great. But then I have people who are, who I refer to as the boots on the ground, who are like my stakeholders who need to use this data to make decisions. And even then, I, you're right. These numbers aggregate to that number. Mm -hmm. We whoop-de-doo. 
But what we do is we sit down and have a weekly meeting, uh, these office hours where I look at the data, and they come to me and we talk about the things that are anomalous, and we talk about what was happening at the time those anomalous things happened. So that way we can understand what exactly is going on. And the other thing is we look for patterns. We see patterns in the data and then say, well, is this pattern notable for some reason or, or of, of such a significance that we should try to leverage it in some way? Um, or is it just, you know, that's just the natural pattern of things and we, it can be ignored and we'll move on to something that's more valuable. So it's, there's a layer of context. You're absolutely right. There's a layer of context that needs to be added on top of all of those dashboards because the dashboard mm -hmm. alone is is only one piece of the puzzle. It's like it, it's like the the you know it's a scattering of pieces of the puzzles, but you need to fill in the rest of the pieces of the puzzle to make the complete picture. It makes me think of dead people. Okay. We study cardiac arrest like it's the end-all be-all of measurement of whether your EMS system is good or bad. Good or bad can be summarized as cardiac arrest survivability. Okay. There's so many variables in these uh, cardiac arrests. So what's what's happened through medicine is they've gotten really good at setting up a series of data points that qualify dead people in or out as to whether or not they uh, they could have or should have survived cardiac arrest. So just to qualify what I'm saying, we don't look at one person in cardiac arrest the same as every other person. This is a cardiac mm. arrest in a patient with terminal cancer. Mm. That person is not looked at in the same way as the 50-year-old guy who clutches his chest and drops dead in the middle of the workplace with a history of high blood pressure and things like that. So just to qualify what I'm talking about here. We spend a lot of time looking at that particular population of people mm. that have a high chance of survivability with sudden cardiac arrest. We look at all the features and factors that uh, help them survive or were not helpful, such as bystander CPR. But we can't say definitively that a an organization provides good or bad care based on just that feature because good or bad care it doesn't come down to just simply survivability it comes down to uh did we do our best with the tools that we have mm -hmm. did we treat the family with compassion and kindness during the cardiac arrest did we um meet all of our safety goals on it. Mm -hmm. So we, we look at a single data point sometimes and we consider that to be the end all be all. Yeah. I reminded of someone. And is you, that the right number to look at anyway? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I, and of course I would never dispute survivability. We would really like people to survive cardiac arrest. Well, yeah, duh, that's a given. But, uh, but there's so much more. And the stories are huge. But you were with me. We had a really interesting... And can uh, I say one, one quick thing? Oh, go when ahead. you said care, and you said good or bad care, mm -hmm. uh, I would want to define what good care... Well, we need to know what care is. Mm -hmm. We need to know what good is. Mm -hmm. And this sounds super pedantic, I know. Yeah. But we need to know what care is. We need to know what good is. And if we know what good is, then we know what bad is, because that mm -hmm. is going to be opposite. the opposite of good. Yeah. So we need to define those things yeah. and then see if there's a logical connection between... Yeah, that those the definitions of of success and mm -hmm. the the thing that we're using to measure that success. Sure, I mean, arguably, survival of cardiac arrest as a measurement just simply measures survival, and that's it. The number of people that are alive versus the number of people that are dead. Yeah. It doesn't, uh, and we can look at all the individual factors, and we can try and hone those things. We can look at the things that are likely to help, yeah. and proven um, beneficial. Mm. But again, it's it just it when we bring things down to a single number, it's really problematic. And that makes so, it hard to compare one department against another yeah. sometimes because mm -hmm. like if you have survivability, cardiac survivability in a very athletic outdoorsy community. place community mm -hmm. compared to 
you know, someplace that, uh, you know, there's a lot of fried food and a lot of people stay indoors. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know. Well, I'm reminded of that conference that you and I went to. Um, do you remember the, the woman we spoke to about her EMT class pass rate? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah so um, in and a nutshell, and I uh, will not name any of the details on this. She was kind of snooty when she said it. Yeah, there was somebody who was a little snooty who uh, bragged to me, uh, learned that I taught EMT class and bragged to me that she had 100% pass rate in her classes. Mm-hmm. Now, I do not have 100% pass rate in my classes. Sure. I'm, I'm not going to feel bad about that because you can't compare us. She is in a fire department-based uh, uh, EMT program where you are a member of the department, and if you fail a quiz or fail a test, then you are asked to leave the program. Yeah. Which means anybody who would fail the final exam has already been asked to leave. Yeah. So they stack the deck. They stack the deck. They're yeah. like you're a weed out program. You weed people out all the way along. Mm. So you can't yeah. brag to me about 100% success. Yeah. Tell me how many people started your class and then how many ended and then we can talk about that number. Yeah, exactly. And that's see and those are the contextual nuances yeah. that a Wh- dashboard doesn't give you. Exactly. I'm going to I'm gonna, I got to finish out this story only cuz people are going to think that I'm a really bad teacher. <laughs> oh, okay. The contrast is that the students I'm teaching are at a community college. Right. They are paying for the service that we provide of teaching them how to become EMTs. Mm-hmm. And while they have to have an 80% or greater and complete all of the scores, uh, excuse me, all of the um, uh, components along the way. They have to take all the quizzes. They have to participate in all the things. Their attendance has to be a certain way. They have to do that in order to have a an opportunity to test for the National Registry. But it's possible to pass a college class with a 70%. Mm-hmm. So while they may go through the entire class and finish the class and get college credit for it, they will not be invited to take the National Registry exam at the end. Mm. So we don't have a 100% success rate. We don't have a 100% score on our, our pass rate on all of our classes because we have a different uh, philosophical way yeah. that we have to manage our students. It's to be ex- to be expected given the yeah. environment that you're in. Yeah, it's to be expected. And, you know, if you talk about a fire department-based EMT class – Think about the people that are going to that. They have been invited in. They are being immersed in that circumstance. They mm-hmm. uh, have made a career choice, not a college program, you know, give me the catalog and I'll pick this class. Right. We get a lot of people in our class that are explorers. They're trying to figure out where they want to go in life. They think this sounds interesting. And maybe it doesn't work out for them, and maybe it does. Yeah. And then you get those people who are, like, former military, and they're highly motivated, and they're they're coming in, they're rocking and rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we can't uh, mm-hmm. we can't compare all data and say that success rate in passing an EMT program indicates mm-hmm. a good program. Just the same way that we can't say that survivability in cardiac arrest is the only thing that defines a good or bad uh, provision of care. Right. Right. And uh, you know, there are some indicators, though. <laughs> sure. Sure. And I think that there are. Some indicators that work across the board, mm-hmm. right? Um, but like you said, there's a great there's a great many of them that don't necessarily translate from mm-hmm. one department to the next. Yeah, really. So you need to have the there's there's not always one measurement to rule them all. Yeah, there there can be, but not always. And yeah. and what I've tried to do with the workplace scorecard is to distill it in. In the same, in in the similar way to mm-hmm. how the the um, and in the S and P five hundred index is one that we understand and is representative of the whole and can be translated from uh, from one measurement to or from one group to another, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, the workplace scorecard does a similar thing where that is a measurement that can be translated from one place to the next, mm-hmm. and it's still requires con- a contextual understanding, which is mm-hmm. why I work directly. It's not just something that people take willy-nilly online. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that requires me to sit down and have interviews and chat with the folks yeah. because we need to add a contextual layer. So the final report is not just a set of numbers, but it's a set of numbers with 
a contextual understanding and a set of recommendations to go along with it. So that way it provides an, uh, a, a balance to just is the number going up or is the number going down? Yeah. A counterpoint. Yeah. Yeah. So it just ooh, it makes me grateful that you're out there doing that work so that I can focus on the workplace differential and just pull at those threads. Yeah. And really, really try and qualify things. You quantify them, I'll qualify them. How's that sound? Sounds good. Okay. So we hopefully have justified how data analysis needs to be um, more holistic when we look at our departments. Forget mm -hmm. about finely honed data. Forget about one number to rule them all. And really to think about the holistic approach, looking at the entire department, looking at all of the people and all of the variables and the community and all of that. Mm -hmm. I think we've done a great job of explaining that. Yep. Let's get back to talking about the podcast for just a second. Well, I would I would love to get back to talking about the podcast. And as we do so, I'd, I'd like to just quickly plug. Um, we've chatted with a bunch of different um, departments and mm -hmm. I would love to chat with more. And yeah. folks, uh, if you want to maybe be on the podcast or just tell us your thoughts or have a reaction to um, our some of the things that we're saying or you have a story that you want to tell, uh, you can go to teamprotego.com and there's a little contact form down there. And um, tell, us, tell us your story because we'd love to hear the story. And if you have a department that... Uh, if, that you you think you'd like to be on the show and and maybe chat with us about some unique thing that makes your department awesome, um, you know, hit us up. Yeah, I think that's great. As established, this is our tenth episode. Mm -hmm. No, yes, tenth episode, twentieth week. Why is that so hard for me to keep straight? I don't know. I have no idea. <clears throat> when should we check back with everybody again? When should you and I sit down and? And figure out the the state of the the podcast and, and where we want to go next. Episode twenty five. Episode twenty five. Yep. So fifteen down the road from now. Yeah. Okay. One when we hit double digits, and then twenty five, then I think fifty, then a hundred. Okay. All right. And eventually a million. Yeah. We're gonna have Wait, to start. We're not gonna get to a million episodes. Oh, million listeners. If we hit if we hit a million listeners. Yeah. We'll definitely have a, a special episode, maybe even a giveaway or something. Yeah, there'll be like a party and yeah. swag bags. Yeah. Very cool. Um, where would you like to see us go next? Because I have some ideas myself, but I'm interested to find out. What would you like to see with the podcast? I would like to see two things. Um, talking to someone internationally. Mm -hmm. And for the life of me, I want to talk to a... a um, lifeguard right that was so cool uh and that came from me walking uh onto miami beach while i was co cold calling them to say hey can i speak to one of your lifeguards can we do an interview right and of course a cold call from somebody who's got like two published podcasts and just standing there on the beach is not really conducive so um but tell me why you want to hear from the lifeguards um because it seems like a really complex and demanding job um i mean on the one hand you're sitting i don't know the way that i imagine that because you know like i only saw the one episode of baywatch back in the 90s yeah. or whatever so like you're not spending all your time running on running on the beach in slow motion um but you're you know you got that tower and on the one hand there's a beach full of tourists and locals and and what have you and they're all out there on the beach doing a variety of of you know safe or unsafe things and uh different degrees of drunkenness and then behind you maybe a hundred yards is a whole city and there's more of the same going on in the city mm -hmm. so where when i was in miami it was like there were planes going by yeah. there were jet skiers and boats yeah. and scuba divers and people fishing and people swimming and small children and right. surfboards all going on so yeah and then and anytime that there's water involved that adds another layer of complexity yeah. as well so but i i wonder about silly things like like where does your where does your jurisdiction end 
Like, okay. it, like, is it on the bike path, like right there yeah. or, 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 you know, behind yeah. you or do you, or if there was something that happened in the middle of the street, you mm-hmm. know, in the shopping center, do you respond to that as well? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what the work is like with regard to, um, uh, benefits and longevity and things like yeah. that. I, it's just their first responders, their first responders we don't talk about too often. Yeah. I'd love to find out more about that job. So yeah. for some dumb reason, I didn't think of them as first responders. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they are like, mm-hmm. duh. Yeah. But it just didn't compute for, yeah. for whatever reason. But yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, um, I want to talk to somebody from dispatch and it's kind of funny uh, just starting off. I want to talk to a dispatcher. I have a handful of friends who are, uh, are or have been dispatchers and I think they're pretty fantastic and I can't decide which one to call. And that's actually what's happened here is like, what if I call this one and then I don't call that one and that's not fair. Um, we have a podcast recording lined up later this week uh, to talk to someone about the driving simulator. Yeah. So uh, one of the podcasts that we have that's in the can right now that's not been edited is a um, tour of a driving simulator at a local private service. They bought a pretty phenomenal driving simulator, and I got in it, and... Uh, it did not go well for me. Uh, 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 chaos ensued when yep. I was in the driving simulator. And so we have the footage from my uh, tragic drive, <laughs> mm-hmm. the interview with the people at the uh, at the organization. And later this week, we're going to be talking to somebody from the manufacturer of the driving simulator. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited to round out that whole story about how they come up with these simulation products. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, just as a little spoiler there, uh, I uh, pretty much in the first 30 seconds of the drive ran somebody over in the simulator. So uh, that was, that was awesome. <laughs> um, uh, we have a helicopter uh, representative from uh, Aeromedicine that mm. we're going to talk to. Uh, who else? What else do we have? Um, <clears throat> community paramedics. Oh, yeah, the community paramedics. Trying to get three of them in the room, in the same room at one time, is really difficult. So we might have to do that one uh, virtually. But I'm intent on having all three because there are three different large organizations and three very different community resource paramedic programs. Mm-hmm. And I think that the variability between these programs is really quite interesting. Yep. Nice. Uh, besides talking to lifeguards, anything else on your, oh, and internationally, anything else on your wish list? No, just more customer, not customers, uh, <laughs> listeners, more listeners. More listeners, okay. More listeners. All right. Yeah, and responses from folks, just, uh, you know, reaching out and telling us stories and stuff because there's... yeah. There are stories to be had, and and um, yeah, we've had some amazing stories told to us. So yeah, and the other thing is, if you have any questions, yeah. um, you know, you have thirty some odd years of experience as a paramedic in mm-hmm. large services and small services and whatnot, and and you teach and you're an administrator and all this other stuff. Like you're a wealth of knowledge and experience. Mm-hmm. So if anybody has any questions, um, Jennifer can uh, can certainly. Uh, provide provide an answer. I may be able to provide some guidance toward finding a definitive answer from people smarter than me. <laughs> don't oversell it. Yeah, I don't know. You're pretty good. You're pretty Thank good you. at that. So yeah, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward. You know what? I'm going to set my sights on episode 25, and look forward to checking back in with where we are. Um. But uh, tell me this, what's been the most impactful uh, or interesting or enjoyable moment of the podcast so far for you? Tell me the one thing that comes to mind. Oh, um, I think being try, uh, teaching you how to run the <laughs> teaching you how to run the equipment. And so that's been because I I I like I default to like things to like yeah. you know technical things so 
Yeah, teaching you to run the equipment was kind of fun. All right, and then sitting, I screwed it up. A, we're sitting in a hotel and trying to explain to you what a decibel is. And like, <laughs> I think that's pretty, that's good. I think that was kind of a low blow there, but I'm no, not it really was sure. fant- it was fun. It was yep. fun. All right, um, and I did. I screwed up with the microphone, so uh, unfortunately, I sent her in with a with a busted microphone, and but I didn't so. pick up on it, so I recorded the whole all of the drone footage with San Jose Fire Department, and I I had a crackly microphone. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We'll figure it out. All right. Good job. Thank you. Okay. Well, more to come from A Duty to Act. We'd love to hear from you. If you are interested in what we have to say, um, if you have things that you want to say, if you disagree with what we say, uh, feel free to reach out. That is www.teamprotego.com. That's T-E-A-M-P-R-O-T-E-G-O.com. Reach out and let us know. Yep. I think that's it. That's it. All right. I'd high five you, but we're like separated by microphones. So. Hasta la pizza. Hasta la pizza. Okay.